And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, good. Uh, Sunday afternoon, welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Apple. And today I'm going to have uh, my good friend Harry Bullions is going to be our guest. We are going to be talking about what's going on in the whole world right now. Harry, um, I have to tell you, I, I, after I read your, uh, your letter that you sent to me, your note that you sent to me, um, I think you'll probably remember uh, when I first started talking to you, I was warning you about the impacts of Agenda 21. Uh, now it's Agenda 2030. Now it's the World Economic Forum. Right. Now it's sustainable development. And uh, they just keep adding uh, fuel to the fire. And you're spot on with the fact that the United States of America has lost all credibility. Uh, we, we've uh, sold our friends down the river. We've sold our currency down the river. We've literally been uh, destroying our country from within, and we've been doing it uh, with the very sole purpose of getting rid of the United States of America as the last remaining constitutional republic and uh, creating the new world order in a big way. Uh, Harry, uh, you've been through it in South Africa. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, all I can say, uh, welcome to the program. I've been looking forward to having this conversation now for a couple of months. And um, I know you're going to have a lot to add to what I just said. So I'll just turn it over to you. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. I'm... Uh... Yeah, I've I've been through through some of this, but uh, I thought you guys were looking forward to it. You're going to have nothing, and you're going to be very happy, isn't that what the man said? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what Klaus Schwab, and I, you know, he's been uh, referred to as Doctor Evil, and I think that's probably about as appropriate. Uh, he even looks like that little character. Uh, Dr. Evil. And so all I can say is that if anybody believes that there's any credibility to these people, uh, you are really, really stupid. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I find myself in the unique situation of having lost the country of my birth. 
to these kinds of forces. After all, you know, it was uh, George Soros who arranged the original meetings that led to what happened in South Africa. And now we've got Klaus Schwab, and now I find myself as a Canadian. I've lived here for just going on 23 years. I'm a Canadian citizen. And lo and behold, now I have to find out that Klaus Schwab sits on a sits on a stage and pronounces with great glee to uh I forget what the man's name is for a moment. He was a commentator on CNN. Um and he he tells the guy that uh they basically own uh Baby Doe, that's the young Trudeau. I call him Baby Doe. They own, <coughs> sorry, they own Baby Doe and most of his cabinet. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we certainly saw that illustrated a year ago with a trucker event where it was made clear to me that I am back in South Africa 1986 again, uh, except that. You know, in South Africa, people's property wasn't taken away and impounded. In Canada, it was. I, I thought I had left the country where people were jailed without uh, recourse to justice. I had to come to Canada to see it under Trudeau. So uh, he sure as hell is a chip off the old block. That would be the man who gave... Uh, Fidel Castro landing rights at Gander to ferry his soldiers to invade Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just so as we get these little points clear, and I'm supposed to show respect to this dollop of axle grease with a haircut and hairy legs. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, and there's more than one person that thinks that uh, actually uh, Justin happens to be uh, Castro's son, and uh, rather than Trudeau's son. So uh, all I can say is that uh, you can't write this stuff. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, you know, and and the bottom line is is the the um, the whole move to uh, turn the world to globalism is on full push right now. And their idea of globalism, just so our viewers understand this, is not uh, not capitalism, not Chinese uh, socialism with capitalistic traits. Their idea of world government is a technocratic feudalism where a handful of people own and control everything and those of the rest of us are just serfs in their in their world, and we own nothing. And supposedly we're going to be happy with it. But I've got a feeling that uh, all I can say is uh, I'm. If they want to come and get all my stuff, I'll give it to them 150 grains at a whack. <laughs> Won't be able to do it in Canada because Justin Trudeau is trying to impound everybody's guns. Some of the provinces are fighting back. It's like, uh, the, you know, the the closer, if, if, as you approach from the east, as you get closer to the Rockies, the resistance gets stronger. Mm -hmm. And I understand why. 
It's probably why I relate yeah. I relate best to Albertans and Texans and Montanans. Absolutely. And uh yeah. and all I can say is that uh that you know what they're doing right now worldwide, most people would not have believed that this could be even a possibility as, as few as maybe five years ago. But we've been predicting this. We've been talking about it because it's pretty obvious what they're doing. Well, I I get very frustrated with all of this because I have, like in the U.S., I have seriously good friends who are Republicans. I got seriously, my longest standing friends are actually Democrats. Um, but uh, it's difficult to talk to them these days because they know what I'm going to say. And what I'm going to say is, guys, you are voting without thinking. You don't understand that your car, you're no longer driving it. Something else is driving it, okay? You are you are just being dragged along and you think you're still voting on your daddy's party or your grandpa's party. You know, uh, can you guys please wake up? Yeah. You know, yeah, I, well, I just, I just, I just, the, the problem's not the guys who are trying to rule the world. You always get them. It's just, it, it's the ordinary, decent guys who cannot see that they've been hijacked. That's the problem. And then they go and they vote exactly like the way they voted before, and they get exactly what I predicted they would get. It is extremely frustrating. Like, how the well, hell do they not see that they've been completely? Completely hoodwinked. We've had a uniparty in the United States forever. And, you know, people, this left-right paradigm, people have got to give up on the notion that somebody's going to come and save us. There's no saviors here. The, the people who we are looking for are us. And we better start standing on our own two legs and being the, the reason that this stuff is not successful, or it will be successful. It's just that simple, mm -hmm. Harry. Yeah, this, this sort of present international situation, uh, including what passes for the, for the deep state that makes your foreign policy, um, it's sort of reminiscent of that movie. I think it was called 2012 or something like that, where there's... Uh, Terrific drama across the earth and uh, civilization essentially gets wiped out and they discover, oh, but the Chinese have been building ships that uh, folks can get onto and there would be two or so of these, two or three of these. And then in the end, uh, some people survive and lo and behold, where do they try to sail to, to start humanity over? To the Cape of Good Hope. Okay, that's how the that's how the movie ends. Kind of ironic uh, that it should all go back to where it started, but uh, folks should note how that movie goes. You go and go and watch it again, and you'll see who are the guys who prepaid for tickets for safety. Okay, those are your Klaus Schwabs. Mm -hmm. You're the guys down in the bilges if you even get to be on the ship. Yeah, okay, definitely. you'll have nothing and you'll really enjoy it. They'll have everything and they'll be telling the ship where to go. 
Okay. Well, and we'll, and you we'll are gonna be, vo you're voting for them. <laughs> and, and we'll be the lubricant. We won't even be yeah. uh, on the ship other than that they'll be using us as lubricant. <laughs> uh, or a Soylent Green, as one guy pointed out. Mm -hmm. For those yeah. who remember Charlton Heston. Oh, yeah. I've got the film. Um, well, Harry... You went through this. You saw this happening. And, of course, your book, Amabulu, you know that I, uh, probably the biggest single promoter of that book of any living human, including yourself. Because so I got you to blame for that, have I? I, I think so. I really do. Because, uh, you know, you've, you've described in very great detail how uh, South Africa started out to be the next America, and uh, it and had those kind of freedoms, and were built around that idea. And yes, it was a country that had, um, you know, some racial strife that was generated over a period of several hundred years. But as you point out, very, uh, very adroitly. Uh, the people, the settlers who uh, landed at Cape Good Hope, didn't even run into uh, black Africans until, what, 80 years later, 70-some years later, uh, two, and two, 600 miles away from the Cape. Yeah, well, when the Dutch settled the Cape of Good Hope in 1652, the nearest black people were 700 miles away. Way, way to the east. And uh, it took two generations until 1702. That's 50 years before white met black over land. So uh, when, when people tell you in the American media that uh, the Dutch went to the Cape to catch black slaves, uh, that would have been a really weird play to, place to go since there were no black people there. Uh, but uh, anyway, and that's not why they went there. It's rubbish. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm supposed to feel guilty about slavery. I've never quite understood why, because no indigenous black South African person was ever enslaved by any white man from anywhere, including the Brits, the Portuguese, etc., or the Arabs, Okay. But Nelson Mandela's Amakosa people did enslave the Amafengu, just to you know make that clear. So people have got to watch who's talking and who's claiming what. And maybe a little bit of homework now and then uh, would be good. Even the Portuguese, who had sort of discovered the East via the sea, sea route around the Cape, they didn't want to land at the Cape because they had too much trouble with the Khoi people who lived at Cape Town, and they are certainly not black people, okay? Uh, otherwise, somebody would have to explain to me why the blacks murdered them out. Um, so it it's just weird. Uh, the oddities around South Africa in, in so many different ways encapsulate what's up with the West today that uh, I've, I've grown sort of weary of pointing them out. For, for example, um, how is it that I could have a wonderful conversation at the uh, National Air and Space Museum sitting with a, with a black family and they, uh, 
we are comparing our information and our different black slave ancestors. I'm the one with the black slave ancestors, not Mandela. Okay, because no black person in South Africa has a history of slavery. Okay, but it's guys like me. I'm the one that has Isabella of Angola as an ancestor. I'm luckier than most black Americans in the sense that I actually know her name. I know which ship she came on. I know what date she arrived at the Cape. Most black Americans are not that fortunate. They, they, they can't trace that information that well. Okay. And I'm supposed to be the one with a guilty conscience about slavery. What the hell is this? Yeah. Okay. And, and these are the kind of idiotic upside down inversion things that this, I don't know what to call it. This thought culture that we are beset by is creating everywhere. They, 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 they causing this upside down rubbish. Like I've just explained. Okay. And, and it's lies from beginning to end. And it doesn't matter to them that it's lies. As long as it serves their purpose, they will repeat it. You'll find it on CNN. You'll get it on the BBC. There's no difference between those two. Anyway, there's no difference between, uh, Canadian CBC and CNN. I call the CBC CNN North. Uh, I've banned it from my house. I refuse to have anything to do with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in my house ever since last year after what they did to those truckers. They are not welcome in my house. Okay. And I have a catty over here, which Trudeau was trying to ban I swear I will let fly with at least with a catty I have to get CBC people off my land. Mm -hmm. um, it's gone too far. It's all just simply gone too far. And, and the, the sort of ironic thing about it all is that I seem to have come from the place where so much of this rubbish was born you know, with uh, uh, with Cecil John Rhodes and the Rothschilds and all of that. I mean, South Africa was their big deal in the year 1900, right? That's what mm -hmm. it was all about, all about the gold. It's all about the gold, the gold, the gold. It's all about the gold. Gold of the diamonds, yep. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, Harry... Um... <clears throat> What, what you're describing, too, and th this is the, the Dutch farmers that were there, frankly, they could care less about the gold and the diamonds uh, until somebody came and tried to steal them away. Uh, no, they cared just... about the land. They cared about because they were there as a trying to be a sovereign republic uh, where they controlled the destiny of the land for the people. Dan, my ancestors were cattle ranchers, okay? Uh, it's that and sheep. The drier it was, the more it tended towards sheep. It, that, that gets you also to the story about who owns the land in South Africa and why should it be stolen. You know, There's a reason why people farm with sheep. It's because cows cannot exist there. There isn't right. grass for them. You know, you can ask that from any farmer, but you can't ask that from a professor at the university. He wouldn't know. 
um, you need around 350 millimeters of rain before you can think of having a cow anywhere near your place. Okay. Most of the West of South Africa doesn't get that rainfall. And so my ancestors, when they were in the West, it was sheep. As they moved East, it was more cattle. And their bigger problem was that these guys were coming and were digging up the ground under their cattle. Um, to go after all these diamonds and then uh, absolute economic rapists like uh, Cecil John Rhodes arrived. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if, or if all these people who are trying to break down statues would stop, think and ask just a little, they'll find out that uh, I, at least emotionally, I, I agree with them about roads. He's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but I wouldn't take his statue down. I prefer for it to stand up there so I can take my kid, point it, and tell him there's the SOB that did this to us. You know, I thought that's what yeah. history was about. You, you, you I, I wouldn't mind if there were a statue to Hitler. I would make the same comment. Let's go take a look. I want to look, tell you, I want to show you what an absolute monster looks like. And now he's dead in his brass, you know. Um, Anyway, maybe maybe I have a strange attitude as to what civilization is. That's what me, that's it, what history is for. Yeah, I, I, is, I, is so that you can learn from past mistakes and also from past successes, so that you can improve life for everyone. That's what you, it's supposed to be. You you don't burn. Well, number one, you don't burn Bibles. Number two, you don't burn books. And number three, you don't tear down statues. You know, I, I mean, the the greatest aggressor against South Africa in the history of South Africa was Queen Victoria. I grew up under a statue of Queen Victoria. The idea of taking the statue down is so absurd, it never even occurred. Uh, sorry, I'm into taking statues down now. I, I don't know how I got there. I guess because last time we talked, uh, that that subject was raised. Uh, I think we're supposed to talk about uh, what's happening happening with land ownership and what's happening with threats around constitutions, and how does this relate to what's happening internationally? And it's it's it's. I find it kind of just a little bit difficult to separate all these things or, or maybe uh, maybe I've decided what the monster in my life looks like and now I see him under every bed and behind every door. I try not to be like that. But when when I see what's done to the truckers over here and then I and I, and I see it's done by Trudeau and then I hear Klaus Schwab, literally say, oh, no, but he owns Trudeau and his cabinet. Mm -hmm. You know, how how can I not view him as the enemy of everything I stand for? How can Glo I not? Uh, Harry, globalism is the enemy of humanity. Yes. Globalism and, now, and the New World Order and their so-called sustainable green world mm -hmm. are the enemy of advanced civilization. And that's why they're going after, uh, why they're creating this tribalism, why they're going after uh, people like you and me and calling us um, the, the, the privileged class 
when in fact my family came over like yours. Uh, my family was uh, indentured servants when they first came to this country, which is basically a slave. Uh, it's got a termination point, but they were slaves. My mother's side of the family came over early on. She was a pure, uh, their family was Puritans. And uh, in, in the Civil War, they were actually part of the Underground Railroad. So why should I feel like I'm some kind of privileged person that's taken advantage of anybody. I've never taken advantage of a soul. I've just worked hard all my life to try to make a, a success out of my life. And I should not be beaten up and destroyed for having done that. Yeah, I, I don't, where these folks are coming from and how they get their calibration, Lord in heaven only knows because, I mean, here I sit, my, my dad started with a spade in his hand next to the railway line, you know, as a so-called ganger on the South African railways. You don't get a lower job than that. That was it, right at the bottom, okay? I had to make sure that the weeds weren't growing over the train line. And uh, my mother was a, was a farm girl, and she got a job to work in a farm shop. Okay, and then she ended up going to work at a at a pharmacy and then at a furniture shop. And then eventually went to the huge big city of Port Elizabeth. She's sort of the Detroit of South Africa in more ways than one. Certainly the cars, certainly the industry and certainly the poverty that goes with it in many respects. And. There we were, what the Brits would call a lower middle class family. Both parents working, the kids at home. Okay. And uh, there was no silver spoon anywhere that, that I recall. I've shown you the picture of the, the first house we ever owned and how my how my mom helped to mix the concrete to put the lintel over the over the front porch, you know. I mean, my mother was mixing concrete. <laughs> <laughs> to make the lintel for the for the thing, where the hell is this silver spoon that these people are talking about? I, I don't get it. I've never understood that. Maybe maybe they just don't understand what work is. I think maybe maybe that's where the problem that's is. That's part of it. That's but but I, it. I need to I need to I need to talk to your listeners just a little bit here. In a certain sense, you should put your two fingers in your ears here, Dan, because I'm going to refer to you. And this is in the nature of a, I don't know what is it, this is, a, a, a confessionary self-portrait or something. Um, some years ago, and I, I can't remember how long ago this is now, Dan, but we probably met up around 2015 or something, right? I think in, it was uh, even a little earlier, a little than, earlier that. than that, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so here's the thing. So, I wrote this book, Amabulu. You can just barely see it in the background, standing there. Um, and I explained the history of South Africa. My attitude was, I may be a dead man before anybody reads this, but I sure as hell am not going to allow the world to get away with what it's done to that country without some evidence being left of what actually happened there, what's the background and what did it look like from inside the soul of the people who were sentenced to death like me by the West. 
And so I wrote that thing, and I I get this call one day by this gentleman out of Montana. Now, I'm kind of partial to Montana, having been there. It's a wonderful country. He tells me he lives in a place called Pony, Montana, and uh, went up in my estimation because he'd actually stood to be elected at some point, but he got done over by his own party. Have I got that more or less right then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I well, I yeah, was, yeah, I served yeah. one term. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. And uh, it it was such an amazing experience speaking to this particular gentleman, and and then he he sort of started explaining something to me. He said, "You know, Harry." Um, you mentioned Cecil John Rhodes and you actually mentioned the Rothschild bankers and things like that in your book and you're dead on. And, uh, but there's a whole other angle to all of this. And he started talking to me about uh, new world order. And I thought at the time, now what the hell is this now? This is new to me. I, you know, uh, hadn't thought of it that way. It, to me, it's just, it was a case of, okay, there was this guy called Rhodes and he tried to steal a country and uh, the, the the SOB died in the middle of his failure, which was good. His queen died before she saw the end of her war, uh, etc. all of which I thought was divine justice. But... Uh, Th that was pretty much it for me. And then uh, more people got hold of me. And basically, the story went like this. There's this whole thing that folks believe is a whole effort to establish an entirely new way for the world to work. And for world, we should read the West with uh, less powerful add-ons. And the, the West will literally drag the rest around like an overgrown tail. Now, um, I they referred me to some books, not not Dan, not Dan. Some of the other folks referred me to various books. One guy sent me quite a collection of discs and things to to look at. Uh, one sent me tapes he'd made in a, in another country, etc. So I was plied with mountains of stuff about new world order, and so I started reading, and I thought to myself, these guys they're out to lunch. Something's wrong here. Okay. These things don't add up for me. And, um, but I constantly heard the following statement, Harry, you of all people ought to be beating the drum on this subject. Now, I, I can see Dan grinning and nodding his head here off to the one side. If I look away, it's just to check that he's not scowling at me yet. So I read and I read and I read, and I studied and I studied and I studied. Some people quoted Bush Sr. at me in a speech that he made about New World Order. I do not accept that particular evidence, simply because I understand the context in which he made it. It was the fall of the wall, the end of uh, 
the old order. Clearly, there was going to be some new arrangement, but I don't, in my mind, associate him with the horrors that we are talking about today. A lot of people accuse him of it. So far, Dan, just for the record, Bush Sr. is not yet indicted exactly in my book, um, which is odd because his father put them on there in the first place. The son took them off. There's something wrong there. So I was on under this constant pressure in various ways from quite a number of folks from various media on to the right-hand end of the spectrum, various ones of them saying, Harry, you should be the one that is beating this drum. It all started with South Africa. That's where it first showed the true its true nature. It comes from earlier, but that's where it showed its true colors the first time. Your people were subjected to genocide by these people. Your nation was completely ruined by them, were trodden into the dirt. You became the poorest white nation on earth, so bad that the Carnegie Institute had to do a study on what makes such poor white people tick, because we were poorer than anything else on the earth that looked at us like us and still trod the earth. How could you be alive, be white, and be so poor? That was us, okay? We were the the thing under the test tube being studied for how the hell do you get to be like that? Okay. Completely traumatized nation ground into the dirt all by this machine, which I had not perceived to be a machine, but which people were very busy explaining to me was a machine. And it, 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 it uh, predated Dan by just a little bit, but he was the first one to tell me you ought to be the one jumping up and down. Um, and then I saw more and more of it. And then I started looking at what is this thing that is making it possible to remove a president in a completely essentially unconstitutional fashion uh, just because you hate his guts. Uh, what is it? What is this machine that perpetrates these lies? Um, and even my mother, who, who passed away two years ago, but she would watch things like the, uh, uh, I don't know what you call, I would call it the Inquisition around Judge Kavanaugh. Okay, because that's an inquisition. Mm -hmm. That that's that's not a question session. That is an inquisition with an intent to kill. Mm -hmm. And she sat there, and she didn't understand most of this, you know. But even she used to sort of pensively look into the screen and lean forward at the TV. And she'd watch this in quiet for quite a while. And then she would turn around to me during an ad break or whatever, and she would speak to me. And in one of those, I'll never forget it, because she turned around, she said to me, my child, I don't know much, but I know women. And that one is lying. <laughs> She's not just lying. She's sick. Mm -hmm. 
she needs help. Okay. And she says, someone, someone must be using her to do this. That was my 90-year-old mother staring into a TV of which she could hear only little bits. She was mostly watching body language. Mm -hmm. She comes from a desert farm in Africa, and she had these people's number. That's wisdom. Now, you, you, need to, you folks need to think on that just for a minute. When a little, little wrinkled old lady at the age of just over 90 sits in front of a TV screen she can't even quite hear, and she comes up with something like that, um, I would put it to you that there's stuff that folks are not seeing, there's stuff that they don't want to see, there's stuff that they don't want to hear, and there are forces at work that you are going to need to do something about as a nation. I have the highest regard for the United States, and Dan referred to it earlier in, 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 in a sort of little bit there, um, asymptotically, as we would say in science. Um, when my ancestors left the old British colony on the so-called Great Trek, more or less the same thing as your westward move in the U.S., um, one of them filed a memorandum and another one wrote a big letter and he made it quite clear. We wish to establish our own country based on the principles of the United States. Okay. That's not too strange because both nations grew up on dangerous frontiers. Um, as one guy put it, uh, we like the idea of having an American missionary create our Dutch reformed church back in the 1840s. Uh, because he could ride a horse and use a gun the way we did. The Brits didn't. Okay, so we saw ourselves as the same people, which is not too strange because genetically we are the same guys. Uh, we descended from Germans and Dutch and French. In my case, maybe a little bit less British than what typical Americans would have, but still a huge amount of German. Americans, particularly in the Midwest, are mostly of German descent anyway, mm -hmm. German, Swedish. Um, so it's not too strange that we would think the same way. Uh, yes, um, I, I think as soon as you get away from the East Coast and the West Coast, folks grab for their Bibles and their guns, which I fully understand because that's us. Mm -hmm. Okay? Don't mess with our Bibles and our guns. Okay? I'm, I'm asked nicely, don't mess mm -hmm. with our Bibles and our guns. That's us. That's the definition of us. Or as Mark Twain put it way back in history, if you want to stop a war with the Boers, all you have to do is make a big pile of Bibles and beef jerky. Okay. <laughs> that... <laughs> Yeah. I've never heard that one before. Seriously, I, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the reference. That's what he said. Make a big pile of Bibles and beef jerky. Um, and he correctly predicted how many Brits it would take to defeat us. He said, it's, it's gonna, if you're going to go at the rate you went in this first Boer War, you're going to declare war on these guys? 
There's only 40,000 of them. You're going to need 400,000 Englishmen under guns to put them down. It's exactly what it took in the end, uh, 20 years later. Anyway. And even then, they had concentration camps uh, yeah. to even make that work. Yeah, they, they, they put us in concentration camps just, just for the record, for those who don't know. My, my surname is Boyens, and of the Boyens folks who went into the British concentration camps during the war of 1899 to 1902, 57% of them died in those camps. It's not the Germans who invented concentration camps, just for the record. Now, I don't go around blaming the Brits or anything around this. I don't have a chip on my shoulder about it. I just don't want them to hide that fact in their schools. I just want them to say, yeah, Harry, we did that. Yeah, it was a different time. It was my grandfather, but, you know, that's it. Don't worry. We're not going to ask for reparations. You know, that's not us. We're Christians. We're supposed to forgive. We're not allowed to hate. Now, I'm not sure that rule holds for liberals. Am I allowed to hate liberal people? The uh, <laughs> <laughs> because of what they've done to us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so the, 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 this little soliloquy on my part is to say, well, it's now going for ten years later, and I've done my homework, and I'm. Uh, sorry to have to say that Dan was right. These folks on the right-hand end of the American spectrum who were telling me that I should be the one to jump up and down were probably right. Um, it is outrageous what this grouping of people did. Way back in history, they, they might have been called the Anglo-American Society uh, or Establishment um, but it contained words like Rothschild and Rhodes and, uh, you know, the, the list goes on. And I look at the behavior of Klaus Schwab and it is absolutely everything that I resent and reject with my entire body and soul. And somehow these people are getting away with it. And there is a grouping in both the American and Canadian societies who are infatuated with this. Okay. There is something very appealing about all of this to them. And I'm using those very specific words because Back in the 1920s, soon after the um, First World War, a guy called Jan Smuts, for you it'd be John Smuts, he was the Prime Minister of South Africa. And he said, consider now that he was a, a general on the Boer side in the Boer War of 1899 against the Brits. Mm -hmm. He put it on paper that there is something, he either said appealing or fascinating, whatever, or that, like that, but about the concept of empire. Well, go to Wikipedia. Go put in Jan Smuts, J-A-N-S-M-U-T-S. Just put that in Wikipedia of all places. 
And just read the article and you'll eventually you'll get to the point where it says that Buckingham Palace approved that should Churchill die in the middle of the war, that Jan Smut should take over as the Prime Minister of Britain. By that time, he was already a member of not just the Imperial War Cabinet, he was a member of the British cabinet, despite being a little boot kid like myself from the district of Marmersbury, where it so happens my wife's father was from. And my wife's father at that time was flying a Spitfire in Greece and in Italy, fighting against the Germans. Okay, so the story of two Boer kids. One is a fighter pilot, the other one is an ex-Boer War general, now a devout imperialist, representing Britain, in effect, in South Africa, and a key member of Dan's Anglo-American establishment, or if you wish, uh, New World Order, or if you wish, World Economic Forum. I can, I can give it other names. There's a whole, I don't know, there's a cabal yeah yeah okay they're they're a cabal um i'm not even sure that they are globalists because there's lots of people on this globe but uh they they use the idea of globalism to enrich themselves to get themselves power and to divest us ordinary folks of everything that we deem valuable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Harry, uh, Harry, I I love your comments, and I'm let me. So I'll shut up. Something. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to add something here because I really want to. Uh, I, I I want you to comment about this. Um, when I call these people globalists, now we we've got to understand something. The, the real power elite, and I'm talking, when I say the power elite, I'm talking Rothschilds, Rockefellers, Warburgs. I'm talking the international banksters that have been behind the scenes creating this whole cabal for the last 150 years. All the legalized okay? thieves. But yep. what they've done. Yeah, they're they're well, and in, in fact, they're robber barons, and robber barons do not believe in capitalism. They believe in uh, corporatism, and they believe in in monarch uh, in um, uh, monopolies. They want to control everything, everything. There's no, there's no absolute must, and and quite frankly. Uh, once they accomplish their goal, it'll be a battle to the end until one guy wins out and owns everything. But the bottom line is, is that they've learned how to use all the isms to work against each other mm -hmm. uh, until they wipe out all their enemies. And then bottom line, we are going back to feudalism that died out 300, 400, 500 years ago. And uh, they want to be where literally every living human on the planet that's still there that isn't a robot, and there won't be that many, they plan on transhumanizing most of the population of the world. 
But the bottom line is, is they want to control absolutely everything under a feudalist system where those of us who do survive are nothing but serfs. Yeah, they want the, okay. that's the word I've been waiting for from your mouth. They they like the idea of they are the lords and the rest of us shall be serfs, which is an interesting situation because this, of course, is exactly what led to the Russian Revolution in uh, in 1919, right? They didn't want to be serfs, and so they went violently the opposite direction, too violently. So I don't like the idea of killing your king and his children and throwing them down a well. Uh, it's not quite the way I think one should do these things. Um, but, uh, yeah, what what one sees this, but, Dan, you know, I had, a, you, you talk about playing people off one against the other. Um, I went on a, I may have, if I've told you this before, stop me, but I took a, a huge Amtrak train ride in August of last year. And uh, uh, all the way from, uh, took a bus from Vancouver to Seattle, then Seattle down to Portland, Portland to Chicago, Chicago to San Francisco, San Francisco to uh, where? Santa Barbara, and then back up along the coast, right? Long trip. And uh, something like 10 days on a train. Now, on the very last day, last full day, it's a pity that it was the last day, went to breakfast and there's another couple. So they, they, they you know, intentionally mix you up so you meet various people at the at the food table. So it's it's a black gentleman and he had a, a wife of Indian descent. And we started talking and he sort of... Uh, very carefully sussed me out and I carefully sussed him out. And then after a couple of seconds, <laughs> we, we, we knew that we were kindred spirits. And man, did he ever uh, express his resentment of white liberals who are trying to keep black people down by convincing them that they are downtrodden and cannot do anything for themselves and that they're hard done by and blah, 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 blah. And he, as far as he's concerned, he sees liberal white men as the enemy of everything that he is about keeping him down as a black man and pretending they're fighting for his rights and blah, 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 blah. And I told him, oh, so you figured that out, did you? And uh, so we went, we went from there. I have to tell you that we must have been stuck at that table for like two hours or something until Amtrak came and chased us away. So we were evicted from Amtrak's dining saloon because this white South African racist over here and the conservative black American man were having too great a conversation. And he said, we got to find each other. We, we, we got to find one another again tonight. We got to continue this conversation. Okay. There's a reason. There's a reason why that conversation went so well. It's because I come where I come from and I've seen a bunch of stuff. And it's because he sussed out what's coming down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
at, at the opposite end of the spectrum are creatures like your uh, Ocasio-Cortez girly. I hate using that abbreviation because it gives a mileage as an advert when you when you give it a three-letter acronym. Um, you know, I think you should spell her name out fully and then say stupid behind it. Um, people like that are the enemy of civilization, and they're too stupid to know it. They're just too dumb to know it. There's no IQ there. There's no insight there. There's no knowledge there. There's no comprehension there. Ed, you're talking to an empty eggshell. There's nothing. Well, nine times out of ten, Harry, the reason they are that way is because they haven't had much experience in their lives. And so normally they come from some kind of an academic background where uh, they haven't had to get their hands dirty. They haven't had to do things the hard way. And, you, you know, your uh, conversation sounds like Alan Keyes. Uh, my friend Alan Keyes is exactly... His wife is uh, East Indian, and uh, and Alan is uh, boy. You sh you really should get to know Alan Keys. <laughs> so, and I I, I go off. You know, the, the, there are certain very particular communities across the Western world. All of them are immigrants, and I went. You'll see the connection just now. I went to the, uh, not Alcoholics Anonymous, to the Automobile Association, AA, the BC, British Columbia AA, to get an international driver's license in 2012 before visiting South Africa. And I, the, 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 there's this young lady behind the counter and she's of uh, Indian descent, like not North American, real Indian descent. And... Uh, she says, oh, you're from South Africa. I said, yeah. I said, where you're from? And she says, well, I was born here, but my parents came from, from East Africa. And I told her, and I, 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 you know, I confess I was naughty, and I told her, I'd love to hear what your father says about President Obama. <laughs> and she leads forward, you know, towards me conspiratorially, and she goes, he says he is Mau Mau. <laughs> for those who do not know what Mau Mau <laughs> is, it was a nationalist terrorist organization led by, amongst others, Yomo Kenyatta in Kenya. And amongst other things, it beheaded at least one white farmer and it cha they, they chased the Indians out of that part of the world. And those Indians fled to various places in the British world, many to England. I've worked with more than one of those that went to England. Um, for those who have any interest in pop music, that would include Freddie Mercury's parents. Okay? Just so you know. Freddie Mercury of Queen. It includes his parents. It includes... Um, the 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 young lawyer that helped so much to uh, uncover the uh, the nonsense that people were dishing up about uh, President Trump. Uh, he's on TV every now and then, uh, and he was he was a lawyer in the, I think in the State Department maybe, 
Uh, Cash Patel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to tell he's, you. He's, 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 his parents also out of that community. This this lady at the, the, the BCAA was there. Now, fast forward a few years later to last year, and I'm back there. This time I'm just renewing my car insurance because we've got provincial insurance here. It's not private. So I go there and sitting at exactly the same seat at exactly the same desk, I could have picked out a six. I picked that desk. Here's a gentleman. This time it's another Indian gentleman. Starts speaking. He says, where do you come from? He says, oh, I, I was born in East Africa. Okay. And so we start talking. And, you know, whatever you hear from me, you will hear just like that from him. So there we were, you know, born 3,000 miles apart on another continent in two countries that were, you know, very bad relations, etc. Yet we have exactly the same understanding of the situation. There is a reason, probably many, okay, and we share those. We both left Africa because of this thing that's now sneaking up on you on this continent, I smell this thing and it stinks to high heaven. Okay. And I've smelt it before. And it has certain people's names scratched all over it. And one of the names scratched on it is Soros. Okay. Which is really Schwartz. His real name is Georgi Schwartz. Right. Okay. Um, so I, I understand, I don't agree with Viktor Orban in, in uh, Hungary, but I certainly understand why he made laws against George Soros. That I understand. He's got that bit right. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's a bit too authoritarian for me, but he's got that part right. He knows what he's facing. He knows what he's dealing with. He smells it too. I smell it. You smell it. Okay, it is not yet quite bitten North America. In my case, it didn't just bite me, it cost me my country. Mm -hmm. And believe me, you don't want to lose the United States as your country. We don't want to lose the United States because we represent the last best hope for the whole world. And that's true. Yeah. And if if we go the whole world is going uh, down the tubes. And and basically, you know, what you're talking about, Harry, liberalism is taking people who are not the sharpest pencils in the drawer and uh, weaponizing them. Yeah, making them feel take, with it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and weaponizing them to take down those who believe in individual liberty, to, that believe in individualism versus collectivism. And once they've got us taken down, they're going down. It's just like uh, Stalin did in the USSR. And, and you know, you mentioned um, that the czar uh, having a, a system that was very much a, a kind of a feudalist culture where there were a lot of serfs and then there was a, a royalty that was in charge. 
But most people don't understand that the Bolsheviks were funded by the international bankers. The Bolsheviks were funded by the so-called capitalists. And uh, we've got a direct relationship. If, uh, if people haven't read, Anthony Sutton uh, wrote several books on the relationship between Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, because the fact is, is the, the globalists, the ones that want to own everything, know how to play all the people against each other, and they've done a damn good job of it. And, they, and, and these people, a hundred years means nothing to them, because they plan on their great-grandchildren being able to live off this system that they created, this legacy that they created. I'm always fascinated by how so many, specifically Americans, how so many Americans can be infatuated with all this stuff that flies under the banner of World Economic Forum and the left and CNN and and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because it all comes from, you know, Cecil John Rhodes back then, Mm-hmm. And do they truly not know that in his first will, he called for the, for his money, for his estate to be used for the restoration of the United States to Britain? Mm-hmm. I'm serious. No, they don't know that. They don't know that. Uh, and I refer to him as high IQ nitwits. And I, I, I can say that honestly because I had some of them in my own family. I think I told you this. My dad yeah. was a card-carrying communist back in the 30s. Uh, my, my, his, his family members, his sister and his brothers, were uh, so-called progressive socialists. They, they believed this crap. Yeah. And, and I refer to that mentality as high IQ nitwits. Well, that's why I take, my, I take my hat off to you, Dan, because most Americans grew up in a capitalist environment, and that's what their mothers and their fathers taught them. And they've now decided that they'd like to break this down because they don't think that's cool. You grew up in a family where you were being taught the radical opposite, and you had to think for yourself and bang your own head against your own wall to figure out that this is crap. It's not going to work. Okay? It takes some doing. Okay? And I have the advantage, Harry. I have the advantage. My dad died when I was only seven years old, and uh, my mother... Uh, was uh, had a lot of emotional problems. She was bipolar. And as a result of that, I had to start working at eight years old. And, uh, and I've worked my entire life. There's nothing like a little bit of reality to uh, make up for a whole lot of stupid ideas that are taught to you as a child. That, that, is, that is why on a good day in 1980, Inside the hallowed halls of IBM, Yorktown Heights, New York, I was working there and I was sharing an office with a devout communist Danish professor. Okay, you've heard my comments about him repeatedly. He's the guy who made it clear to me that liberals want me dead. Um, We had lots of arguments. And then one day I just told him, 
John, I'll tell you what. I'll drive us into town. Then we go to the New York Docklands. And then you explain your idea to those guys because you say you are for workers. Those are workers. So we'll go there. You explain your idea and I'll explain mine. Okay. And then we see whose idea they want. I'm happy to leave right now. You say you're for the workers. Let's go. Okay. And he said to me in his heavy sort of slurry Danish accent, oh, Harry, we, uh, you know, they will reject my idea because uh, they are stupid. <laughs> mm. Yep. Yeah. So this idea of idiotic liberals calling other people exactly that which they are, Mm -hmm. Okay, is not new. This is all old stuff. I mean, I've, I, I saw it in nineteen basically seventy nine, not eighty. <laughs> How long ago is that? Okay, that's that's more than forty years now, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, there's nothing new here. I don't, and and, and again, I'm going to tell you. Um, People in South Africa can get angry at the black folks over there for, for trying to pull all these stunts, or people similarly in the U.S. can get mad at Black Lives Matter and so forth. I don't blame these folks for trying. Good luck. You know you're lying, but you're going to try this. And Okay, so try. Try then. Go ahead. Try. It's rubbish. Can't work. You try. Okay. It's not them that I hold really responsible for it. It's the people who vote for the ones who indulge this and allow this and who like this and who think it's cool and who don't. They, they have the brains. They have this wonderful thing called a vote. And they think they're voting for their grandpappy's party. Mm -hmm. They think they're voting for Kennedy's guys, okay? Kennedy was bad enough as it is, okay? Now it's really a problem. And right. I cannot believe that my thinking, intelligent friends can be, you know, approving the stuff that the guys do that they vote for. What's wrong? Can't they see these people are just, Clutches? Can't they, they can. see, you know? They can't, Harry. And this is the thing that's so sad about it. And I, you know, like I say, I refer to them as high IQ netwits. Um, there's, uh, um, well, <laughs> a friend of mine that you don't know, but one of these days you'll probably meet him, um, refers to them as libtard savants. <laughs> and I think that's a pretty appropriate term to liptard savants. But uh, what it boils down to is that they, they think that they're so much smarter than the rest of us that no matter what kind of convoluted, crappy idea they come up with, if it's their idea, it's got to be good. Yeah. You know, I... Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, 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 I'm scared of sounding like a 
<laughs> a short gray-haired guy that's full of it. But because uh, uh, that's actually what I am. But, uh, you know, we, we probably should move on. It's, I, I feel like we're banging our heads on each other's shoulders and asking what the hell has happened to the world around us? Has, uh, you know, have they got spaghetti in their brains or what the hell is it? Mm-hmm. I, I, well, I don't get it. Most of the time, I just don't get it. But I, I see I see certain trends, and one of them I pointed out in my note to you, and that is that this is a fascinating phenomenon. Let me, let, let's see if I can, can get this right. Remind me again, which which party was in charge in the U.S. during World War One? Democrats, absolutely. Yeah. Let me just double check with you: which party was in charge during the Second World War? Democrats, uh-huh. Vietnam. Okay. Democrats. Okay, who Democrats? Okay, I got it. Okay, then Reagan came along and he did some, you know, four-day efforts to go and sort out a problem in one or two spots. It's not as though that landed the U.S. in an extended war of any type. Okay. So now I I, I look at all of this, and I, I ask people questions like, can we treat your President Trump as an engineering black box? In other words, I don't want to look inside. I don't want to hear whether he's nice or good or bad or anything. Just look at inputs and outputs. This happened. That came out. Mm-hmm. Which war did he get you in? Which war did he get you into? Mm-hmm. None. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which big terrorist attack happened on his watch? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm a scientist. I look at things like that. Okay. Has nothing to do with whether I think he's ASOB or not. Okay, it has to do with what happened. Let's see. Um, and so he was basically uh, out of office for how many months? And then Putin invaded Ukraine. Yeah, uh, roughly which, a year. On which on which party's watch was that? Right. 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 Okay, mm-hmm. so which party is it that seems to function on the basis of infinite war? Well, let's face it seems it. to suit someone mm-hmm. because the Ukraine thing could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. I'm very sure of that. Okay. Well, it, it and and I have to tell you, Paul Craig Roberts was on my program in. I believe 2015 came on uh, and talked about how the uh, bio labs in Ukraine were being used to uh, design biospecific um, weapons based on uh, going around the the uh, Russian Republic and picking up Slavic uh, Russian genome and creating biospecific weapons. And he called on, he came on my program and he said, this is insanity. This was during Obama. And and he said, this is insanity. They are creating biospecific weapons and they want to, uh, and they think the Russian people are not going to do anything about this. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a whole 
host of things. I, I, I don't want to necessarily go down an alley about the U.S. and Russia, but uh, I will go to my grave believing that what was needed back in the early 90s is that Russia, just like just like Germany had had a Marshall Plan, I think we'd be in a totally different place now if um, the Russians were not treated like a defeated enemy. I if, agree. If, if, a, if a hand had just been stuck out to them and say, okay, hey, you know, uh, an enemy today is a good friend tomorrow. Let's shake and let's see what we can do. Okay? And, and that, Harry, that's what I honestly thought was going to happen. It seems so obvious I did too. to me. It seems I did so too. Obvious. Hey, Harry, the the uh, you know who went into the and and tried to capitalize on the fall of the Soviet Union? It was the international bankers, Companies. the same yeah. people that are doing all this other crap, and they're they hate Putin. Now, don't get me yeah. wrong; I'm not an apologist for Putin, <laughs> but the fact is, is they hate Putin because he's a nationalist and he wants to bring back some honor to the Russian people, and he believes in his country. You know, and they I mean, hate him for that. I, uh, the, the best example that I actually heard was from, um, I forget now what their foreign minister is, uh, 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 not Pavlov, what is it? Uh, Sergei something Vlov. Um, he said the other day, what do you think would happen if the Irish made laws banning the use of English in Ireland? What do you think would happen if Switzerland made laws banning the use of German in the German parts of Switzerland? What do you think would happen if the uh, Finns banned the use of Swedish in the western parts of Finland. Uh, and he, he carried on with examples like that. He said, well, the, the Ukraine banned the use of Russian in the eastern parts of Ukraine, and that is the language that people speak there. You know, it, it, it's it's difficult to to argue rationally against points like that. And for the heaven's sakes, don't let me make uh, Putin's case or his foreign minister's case. I'm I'm just saying they are not devoid of ground under their feet. It's not as though there's no ground under their feet. There is ground. They they do have grounds for being very 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 unhappy. Okay. Well, Harry, um, uh, when they went into Ukraine, what was the first thing they went after? They went after the bio labs <laughs> that were funded and put there by our CIA and our intelligence services and our political class. Well, the the the, the guys who would go against that line of reasoning will tell you that similar lab agreements were also made with Russia and that the same kind of thing was done in Russia as was done in Ukraine. What I don't know is whether something was secretly done differently in Ukraine from what was done in the other old uh, Soviet republics. 
but they there were similar agreements about cleaning up labs and stuff like that done with the other republics. But who knows? Uh, yeah. They may well, very well have played dirty tricks in the Ukrainian ones. I don't know. Uh, well, those were uh, bioweapon labs. And the one I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the the uh, nuclear uh, labs. No. I'm, I'm, I'm talking oh, bio about uh, biolabs. And uh, the, the other thing that happened in Ukraine is, and uh, don't, most people don't want to talk about, is all of the human trafficking, all of the the vices, the money laundering, and all the other crap that's gone on in Ukraine. Harry, most people don't realize Ukraine never separated itself from Russia legally. Technically, they didn't because they had so much debt that they didn't want to take on that debt, debt themselves. So they let the Russians keep them because of that. And we made an agreement, um, certainly uh, uh, Bush Sr. Uh, made an agreement with the, the the Russian Federation after the fall of the Soviets that we wouldn't go into the Slavic countries immediately next to the former Soviet Union with NATO. Well, guess what? We've been doing exactly that. We did it in... In Poland, we did yeah, there's, it. In, there's, in, a lot in, of, there's a lot of argument about was it done, was it not done, was the promise made, was the promise not made, is it on paper, is it not on paper. I got a whole universe of links here that I'm busy going through on the subject. Exactly. Um, but there's a yeah. few men that I would listen to on the subject, and uh, those with the best credentials are saying, guys, can we please not fool ourselves? The promise was indeed made, and uh, they generally say, go read a book called Not an Inch Further. That's that's what I'm repeatedly uh -huh. told. Is I haven't read it yet, but uh, it's go, re go read the book called uh, Not an Inch Further. The implication being that that promise was indeed solidly made, and that uh, Putin has reason for being upset about it. Is that a good enough reason for invading a country and killing thousands of people? Of course not. But, uh, you know, uh, my point to, to everyone is, guys, our hands are not clean on our side, okay? No, no. Our hands are not clean. Do not fool yourself. You look in the mirror, at least be honest with yourself. That's right. Our hands are not clean in this case. There, there, there are no heroes in this no, scenario. No yeah. And and the the truth of the situation is, um, what's happening in the Ukraine? Uh, it, it's it's awfully much like McNamara's way of fighting the Vietnam War. You know, you're allowed to fight, but please don't do this or don't do that. And don't use the weapons for this. Don't use it for that. Uh, don't accidentally hit this. Don't accidentally hit that. You know, and don't 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 upset the Chinese, etc., etc. So you're wasting your pilots' lives, you know, like in Vietnam. And now the same is happening with the Ukrainians. We've got these cool weapons for you, but please just don't lob any of them, you know, into Russian territory. That would not be cool. That will endanger us. Uh, and so the implication is 
this war is being fought to the last Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't like that. This is wrong. This is just wrong. This is war being exploited, I think. Every war is an exploit, uh, exploitation, Harry. Uh, it, it's like Smedley Butler wrote in 1936, war is a racket. And, yeah. and you take a look at who wins these wars and who profits from them. And the people never profit from these wars. The only people that profit from wars are bankers and big industrialists. Everybody else pays the price. I I, I have a simple way of looking at that, this kind of thing. And that is, if I'm in an aeroplane, something goes wrong and I jump out in my parachute and I land, you know, 100 yards, I, I land in a 200 yard wide no man's land. I can either run to the Ukrainian side or I can run to the Russian side. I promise I'll run to the Ukrainian side. I don't see as I have a choice. I'll run to the Ukrainian side. But that doesn't mean that the Ukrainian side is in all respects right here. Okay, And the Ukrainian side includes pretty much all of the West. Um, I, I asked my good Democrat friend way back in, 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 in the 1980s, I told him, George, so your plane's in trouble and you jump and you're landing halfway between the Afghans, the Mujahideen, and the Russians. Which way do you run? He said, Harry, I guess I'll run to the Russians. I said, okay, that's the end of this debate, okay? That's it. You know you're going to go to the Russians. Okay. So I, I find I find this kind of thing relatively easy. <laughs> and I find that that question clarifies things very nicely. Thank you very much. Um, so make no mistake about which side I will pick up and help fight. Um, but it doesn't mean I have to BS myself when I look in the mirror and say that uh, our hands are clean. Hands are not clean. Forget it. Okay, this is a BS story that's being spun, and I know it. I've watched it for years and years and years. Okay, it's been I, happening for two hundred years. Yeah, and uh, I, I I told my good Democrat friend way back in the nineties when when the after the war came down and the big events happened in Russia, I said my big concern at the moment is it seems to me like the U.S. is holding a drunken dance party instead of understanding that the other side elected not to fight. Okay. And I don't know how long this drunken dance party is going to go on. All I'd know is I see your president with a saxophone in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. it, Harry, um, anytime you're talking the military industrial complex, you're talking, basically there's no, there's no, People never win these wars. The only one that win the wars are the international banksters, and it's because they're there for one thing, and that's profit. That's why I'm asking you, which party presided uh, over most war? Okay, well, because somebody's making money. Well, I understand that, but uh, believe me, I also understand that right now we have kind of a uniparty in this country because so many of the 
Republicans are in fact rhinos and have gone into the same global order. Um, The the, 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 uh, analogy I use is it's like there's two cars. One car is filled full of the Democratic leadership and they've got their foot to the floor going as fast as they can toward a wall that says socialism, okay? The, The Republicans are in a car too, and they're traveling in the same direction, but they're trying to obey the speed limit. They're they're trying to obey the laws and follow the speed limit. And that's really what we have. That's why we have people like John McCain and uh, Mitt Romney and uh, people who are Mitch McConnell, people who are absolutely atrocious liberals, they're just lying about what they really believe. Well, they, they, they certainly are not trained in the laws of street fighting as the Democrats are. No, that's true. They and don't know, they, they have no concept of fighting dirty. They want to do everything by the Queensberry rules. And uh, ultimately, in the end, that is why Trump was not re-elected, is because he picked himself a... Uh, Attorney General who tried to play by the Queensberry rules mm-hmm. against an enemy that would stop at absolutely nothing. Nothing. Nothing was too dirty or underhanded or too undermining to your country or undermining to your state as an institution. They were prepared to do absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. And he was debating. And they're doing about, it today. And he was debating. Would it be unseemly for me to do this, or unseemly for me to do that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Now you can't play by the rules if you're uh, fight doing fight so the if, street fight. If if your party wants to get anywhere in future, it's going to need to learn to play. You know, it's going to need to play dirty. I'm sorry. Well, we've got to get rid of globalism, and that's that. And let, let's. Uh, you're right. We need to get back into the discussion. Yeah. I want to talk about why the new world order is pushing so hard to uh, create tribalism, to go back to indigenous societies, go back to uh, tribalism and uh, communist cultures that are based on that tribalist concept. And what I what I said in my newsletter that I sent, and I'm sure you read it, um, is that the reason the globalists want that is because it's easier to control. Well, Tribal that... societies are, for the most part, most of them are uh, Stone Age cultures, and uh, they, they're easier to control. This is where the, the South African thing is, is interesting, in that it appears to be a, a different manifestation of the of the effort. The the old government in South Africa, um, which we're well rid of, had this policy of of homelands, which basically said, you know what, let the Navajo live in Utah, and maybe the Cherokee should be somewhere near the East Coast. You know, and maybe the Euron should be somewhere up in the north, and maybe the Flathead Indians ought to be somewhere near Montana, etc. Right? They had areas where they used to be. 
um, the international media led by the BBC immediately invoked their own history, which was the creation of Pakistan, Afghanistan, as they say, Afghanistan. They always stretch it like that. And uh, Adriana Amanpour is a, a good example of that. It's always Afghanistan, like it's got seven A's and an H in a row. <laughs> Um, so they had these stuns that they created, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Pakistan, Afghanistan, it's sort of the British world view of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so they said, no, these, these are just Bantu stuns, Bantu being the collective name for the black people of South Africa, and that this is intentionally dividing them up and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so... If that thesis of yours is to hold in South Africa, then they would have to go back to what the old National Party government did in the apartheid years, and that is try to keep these homelands going, the Watsastans, so-called, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and that's not what's happening. Um, the ANC in South Africa uh, likes the idea of just simply uh, owning as a government, owning all the land. They want to appropriate all the land, okay? Uh, which gets us into fascinating numbers games. Um, for example, you, you listen to CNN and the BBC and this bunch of liars that we call CBC over here. And they will tell you that white people, uh, white farmers own 80% of the land. No, they own 21%. And that 21% includes the western half of the country, which looks like southern Nevada, okay, like the low country of uh, Arizona. Right, not the high country where you've got scrub trees and beautiful red rocks. The low country, okay, that's what it looks like. It even smells like it. The two places smell the same. Okay, I've I've spent time in both. You couldn't tell the one from the other unless you saw Mesa. Our Mesas look different in South Africa. So, uh, the actual numbers, if you, if you take away the part of the country that nobody would sensibly actually want to farm in, okay, th then you left with a vastly smaller percentage and you're coming in at like 14% or something like that. So the, the numbers that are used to work you up against white farmers are complete lies, utterly, utter lies. Um, but that's what folks now have to contend with. And the government down there, has tried various ways. It, it ultimately wishes to change the constitution so as to put all land in the hands of the government, who will then apportion it out in a true communist fashion, right? Mm -hmm. There being not really much difference between a tribal chief and a communist commissar. Whether it's the commissar that hands out the land that you're going to farm or whether it's the tribal chief that hands it out, doesn't 
make any difference. It also makes no difference as regards the corruption. You either pay off the tribal chief with a present, which is done openly, or you pay off the commissar uh, with money, which is given behind the back. Same thing. It's still communism. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in that, in that respect, uh, you're talking about vaguely the same system and the, the behavior that I see from the Russians, this, this unbelievable level of corruption in the army, the fact that, you know, they try to drive out with a, with a, uh, with an armored car and that the tires just burst because they've rotten away because somebody bought the cheap version from elsewhere instead of buying the right thing, all that stuff. Uh, that is exactly South Africa. Only South Africa is worse. Okay. Because it doesn't have a war like this that highlights what's gone wrong. So uh, I think what they like is the corruptibility. It's not so much whether they want it to be per tribe or per ethnic group. In South Africa, the government tries to do it by ethnic group rather than by specific tribe. Um, so today, if you were to go and look at South Africa, the Amakosa still live in the Transkei country where the old government gave them all that land. It's always been their land. Nobody's ever questioned mm -hmm. it. The Zulus are still in Zululand. You know, the Sutus are still in Basutu land, only they all have now moved into the rest of the country and they now demand that they want to have all of that. Okay? And the mm -hmm. argument that is used, and you need to watch out for this argument in the US, <clears throat> the argument that is used is that Black people are 90% of the population, therefore they should own 90% of the land. That's exactly what they would say. So I would just like you to know that according that, that, that Black Lives Matter is a little bit stupid because I figure that they should start asking for, what is it, the black people in America are about 15 13%. 13%. Okay, they should say they want their 13% of the United States. They'll settle for New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, and Chicago plus then other little bits to make up the 13%, right? Well, except there's a problem with that, Harry. It, it isn't what? just the black people. Now it's uh, the Native Americans. And, and of course, all us white people stole the land from yes. the poor Native Americans. So not only do black people deserve to have reparations, we need to give everything back to the Native Americans, but guess how we give it back to them? We give it to the government first, and then the government will oh, take care of it. See, that's, <laughs> that's why the reservation system has been such a wonderful success. Is the that same? I mean, what they want to do is they want to create the reservation system for everybody. And that is why in South Africa, at least one black farmer went and sued the government and he said, I want my land you said you're going to give to me. Where is my land now? I have filled in all the forms. Where is my land? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I love it when that kind of stuff, you know, when the cows come home and all the chickens come home to roost, you, you got you to gotta see a liberal guy's face when all his BS comes home to haunt him. 
Okay, it's like they this this as, as you and I have agreed already that the one thing that sets communists communists apart from capitalists is that communists can't do maths. Right. 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 <clears throat> so the the liberals are worse than that. They fiddle the equations and they still can't do the maths. Mm-hmm. Never been. Okay. And it's the same with science, Harry. It's like they say the science is settled. They can't do the science yeah. either. Oh, they I can't do a damn thing. I love that one. You know, it. what is the date today? Let me double check here. Where are we? We are at the 12th, 12th March of 12th. March. March mm-hmm. the 12th. We usually, if we have snow in a particular year, it usually arrives after Christmas, typically the first week or so in January. And, and that's pretty much it. In the odd year, maybe we get a snow shower in February. And they have at least two years that I've lived here, we had a big snow shower in February. We have snow forecast for next week. Mm-hmm. But it's signs. We are definitely heating up. Oh, yeah. Dan, you know, no question about it. Absolutely heating up. That's got to be why there's snow in the forecast in middle March, after middle March. I need to understand this. My my plants on my deck, the previous winter, they all got wiped out. Mm -hmm. This winter, a lot of them got wiped out. And for my previous 21 years in this country, they all survived. Mm Mm-hmm. These two seasons, they died. It snowed so much behind my house in this forest. We have this massive 130-foot forest behind the house, okay? One of those 130-foot trees came down because of the load of snow on it. It couldn't take it. It broke literally out of its bowl in the ground, took one root with it, fell over, and thank God it fell from north to south. Otherwise, it would have split our house. So we literally having our lives threatened by snowfall. Mm -hmm. And I am supposed to lament global warming? Is somebody going to explain any of this to me at some point? I'm just a humble PhD physicist that can do maths and have, you know, worked with bolometers and and stuff like that. I suggested many moons ago to my one friend in the U.S. Who, who's a great global warmer guy. I said, "You're a scientist. Why don't they just launch a satellite, put a bloody bolometer on it, and measure the freaking temperature of the Earth and get all this crap over and done with? I'm tired of this debate. There doesn't need to be a debate. Measure it. You know, a physicist measures. They've done the measurements, Harry, and the measurements don't bear out what they're trying to say. So I was going to tell you that. So I found a guy called John Christie who's done exactly what I said, using bolometers on satellites, and he can find no heating. None. He can't yeah. find it. Mm-hmm. Now, well, probably, probably he's immediately disqualified because he's from, I think, uh, is it Alabama? Or I think he's in Alabama. Yeah, I think he is Alabama. Yeah. yeah. So now, because he's from Alabama, no, 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 no. That's the South and Alabama is Trump country. So he's wrong. He is wrong by birth. Well, okay. Bolometers work differently for him. Get, get, get this. Uh, Willie Soon who yeah. I know, 
Yeah. And uh, Willie soon won a Nobel Prize for yeah. his research into solar systems, the solar activity, and the effects on weather. Willie soon said 10 years ago to, uh, to me at one of the programs we were doing that uh, we were entering into a modern minimum and that, in fact, we were going to see uh, a, a cooling of the earth for the next 30 to 40 years, and that when it happened, it would be uh, to the point after it started to accelerate, which I think is happening right now, uh, where we very well could see some uh, uh, return to a condition similar to a, um, a minor ice age. And he said we're gonna, that we're going to deserve yeah. that. We're yeah. going to deserve that. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you, you know, I, I'm on record. I, I would like to have Our Lady Ocasio Cortez. Uh, Make her will out, and in it, could she please make sure to that that her estate comes to me? She's not going to need it in twenty thirty because she's going to be dead. Remember, okay? Isn't that what she said? We're all going to be dead from global warming. Excellent. So, I could use it. I I I plan on sticking around until then. So, if she doesn't mind. Just, just, just transfer her estate to me. Uh, I'd appreciate it. I could use that money. Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm a humble immigrant that needs to have some money. So, and, and Harry, I could use it too because it would be so nice to have that cushy congressional retirement plan. Uh, <laughs> since they only have to serve three terms, and they get a a, a guaranteed uh, a retirement of eighty five percent of what their their uh, Pay you know their salary was as a congressperson. You probably need to forgive me if I rant on about that stupid little wench because uh, that happens to be where I lived, right? So if I stayed there, she would now be my senator. She's a senator, right? Yeah. No, she's a, a, a representative. She's a representative. Okay. Yeah. Thank God, at least that's one lesser blow. But uh, uh, so she's yeah, you're right. She represents the place where I lived. Mm -hmm. That's where IBM was. That 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 county was dominated by IBM. Okay, um, it's not generally stupid people who end up working at IBM. How the hell could they vote her in? Well, actually, Harry, uh, she won by such a. Uh, when the vote actually came in, only like fourteen uh, percent of the people in that district voted for her. It's just they didn't have much of a turnout, and so she got she got elected in the primary as as the uh, uh, Democratic candidate. Once she gets a Democrat, then you're in. Then you're in automatically. But only 14% in the primary actually voted for her because they had such a low turnout. All I can tell you is that Westchester County is stinking rich and has always been stinking rich. And I think these days there is a negative correlation between stinking rich and IQ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Well, Harry, uh, we're, we're laughing about this, but 
Yeah, you know but we, 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 we're sort of laughing in the graveyard in a certain sense here. And it's just, well, that's kind of, yeah, you know, but the, the, you know, the reason they like tribalism is, is it's just the divide and conquer thing. They, they want us all fighting each other. They want us all hating each other. And then when they can do that and they can get everybody battling back and forth, then uh, we're ready to let them pick up the pieces. And that is what we only need af- to do. Only after they've sold us weapons. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. They got it. <laughs> only after they've sold us weapons. They can't, they can't live without the weapon sales, these guys. No, that's, that's what, right. That, that's how I've got it figured out at this stage. Until somebody disabuses me of that notion, I think the liberal hegemony in the West is fundamentally and profoundly reliant on weapons sales. Mm-hmm. They can't function without it, and they are fundamentally based on the U.S. dollar as the international uh, 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 reserve currency. Reserve currency is the word I'm looking for. If the dollar is no longer the reserve currency, all hell breaks loose in the place called United States. All hell will break loose in it. It will crumble so fast you couldn't catch your breath. Harry, guess what? We we're talking about that, but uh, keep your eye on the next two or three weeks, because I hate to tell people, but our role as the reserve currency of the world is gone. And uh, when Saudi Arabia, with the petrodollar, backing up the dollar with the so-called petrodollar, when Nixon took us off the gold standard, yeah, uh, that's that's no more. The, the Saudis are now siding up with the BRICS, who are uh, very incidentally going to take down the U.S. dollar as a world's reserve currency. Well, I, I don't know if they... Look, BRICS alone as it stands now was in no way going to take down the U.S. dollar. But if the, as I put it to you, just keep on threatening the Saudis with green energy... Mm-hmm. and keep toppling regimes around them, sending them a message that we could also topple you, do not be surprised if they shack up with somebody else. Okay? Um, o- Obama... Well, and, and the Russians... I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt. But, but Harry, uh, the Russians have done more to broker... Uh, the the uh, political situation in the Middle East than the United States. Under Trump, he was actually involved in the Middle East and things were getting done. But mm-hmm. under O'Biden, um, the Russians far and away control the Middle East now as far as being the, the main influencer in the Middle East. It's Russia and it's Putin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know I sent you a note on the subject in... in... In 1975, the U.S. passed the Clark Amendment, and overnight, the U.S. pulled out of Angola, 
deserted our guys there that they had promised they would ferry out, having begged us to go in there in the first place. Yep. And you, I've told you before that the, the word went out, not so much as an American washer or screw goes into any South African weapons in future. Uh, the disgust with the behavior of the U.S. Senate and Congress at that time, uh, uh, it knew no bounds. Uh, that that's called deserting your allies in the face of the enemy. That's really what it is. Let's call it what it is. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Now we survived that, but countries took note and Henry Kissinger in his own book refers to the fact that how many other leaders of other nations told him at the time, we now do not know if we can trust you. Mm -hmm. We now do not know if we can trust you. Well, um, I'm sure that if Biden does pray now and then, it's probably that people will forget what happened in Afghanistan. I'm not going to forget. I'm not letting him get away with that. I expect Americans not to let him get away with that. That departure out of Afghanistan was disgraceful. There is no other word for it. Um, I know Americans well enough, and I have enough American friends, and I've lived there long enough to know that this is not in their character. What happened there is just not in their character. This must stick straight across the crop of any American who calls himself American. So um, imagine how other countries that kind of style themselves allies look at that. Mm -hmm. Or as my, my, my same shrunken little mother put it to me one day, my child, stay away from that man. Do not be his enemy, but please don't be his friend. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or to quote Kissinger, if you are an enemy of the United States, you are in danger. If you are a friend, you do. You are in danger. <laughs> you don't. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I made the comment before, I'm, I'm not particularly surprised that the Germans were so reticent to provide Leopard tanks to, to the Ukraine, okay? The pipeline had to be blown up before they were prepared to start agreeing to that. So guess who did that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, since that partnership that blew that pipeline functioned as exactly that partnership before in history, uh, I'm pretty sure I know how that worked. Um, so I, 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 I look at all of this and I tell you the the use of the American dollar as a reserve currency is crucial to your, quite frankly, your existence at this point. You are no so indebted that if you can't just keep printing money, you are beyond screwed. Okay. Mm -hmm. The only thing that allows you to do that is having the dollar as a reserve currency. Uh, but nobody else is that lucky. Everybody else has to keep a stash of dollars under the bed, particularly to buy oil, because Kissinger made a deal with the Saudis that they would only sell oil in dollars, right? Well, it seems like the Saudis are saying, uh-uh. That deal's over. Now, why would they do that? Well, they've now seen what happens to 
Muslim brothers are friends of Americans. They saw what happened in Afghanistan. They saw what happened to Mubarak. Okay? I mean, Mubarak was a staunch ally of the United States. Look what happened to him. Okay? And the U.S. sold him down the river, literally in a cage. Okay? He sat in a cage during his trial. Okay, so the U.S. sold in. You can't keep doing this to your allies and think you're not going to pay a price. Okay, and you're going to pay that price because somebody's going to kick you where it really hurts, and the place is going to hurt you. Is the subject U.S. dollar as reserve currency? I'm not sure there's enough Americans alive to understand what that means to not have the dollar as a reserve currency. Harry, they don't have a clue what that means. And I, I say that because I've talked to so many people about that. And, and they, they just don't understand. They don't have the, the same people who are creating this scenario know that the American people, when it comes to financial common sense, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. And, and I will make this hypothesis. The reason that all this is happening is because they've got to bring down the United States of America because we represent the, or we did represent the best hope for the world to have a constitutional free society. Or maybe, or maybe they're thinking that the U.S. is doomed because of what I've just explained and that they got to make moves to make it part of a much greater whole so that they can spread that debt across a bigger thing. Well, I I hate to say it, but I think they really do want to destroy the United States so that there's no way we can come back. And they can do it. They can do it with the financial system. No question. They've been lubricating this engine for over 100 years. And they did it knowing full well what they were doing because it would mean that ultimately the New World Order and a handful of international banksters can own and control everything. Now, I know that's a very simple way to put it, but it's just the way it is. Yeah. Anyway, Dan, I, I, I think we're coming up on your hour, unless I'm mistaken. Well, we're getting close. we got five minutes. Let's talk about uh, Amapulu and your websites and how people can uh, keep track of so much of the stuff that you write, because you're a, a very, very, uh, normally, you've been a little, uh, a little bit preoccupied recently, yeah. but you normally write a lot of newsletters and do a lot of uh a lot yeah, of information. I, yeah, I've been in the, in the last two years. I've been relatively quiet because uh, during the period of my, my my mother passed away from cancer, and in the last year, I pretty much devoted all my time to her. So uh, after that, I had to put my my day job back together, <laughs> and uh, so all this stuff uh, didn't get much time. But uh, yeah, the the book is called Amabulu, A-M-A-B-H-U-L-U. Uh, just stick that into Amazon. You'll you'll find it. 
And uh, it's a description of the history of South Africa. I promise you it's not a dry history book. It actually follows my own ancestors, uh, lots of them, um, through that history. So as you go through the history, there's always an ancestor of mine witnessing it in some way or another or testifying to it in some way or another. They sometimes end up in the hot parts of wars and sometimes in the cold parts of backcountry. Uh, but either way, um, you'll see what led us to being such a unique place. And then you can find out how it came apart. And when you get to the chapters that describe South Africa 1986, um, you know, uh, you will recognize events in the United States of recent years. So uh, South Africa, in a certain sense, is the canary in the coal mine of the West, or it was the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. I just want you to know the canary is dead. Mm -hmm. The canary Not is only is the canary dead, but he's fully cooked. Yeah, is full. There's nothing. They plucked him before he died. They plucked him even as he was still breathing. So the canary's dead and plucked. Um, read the book to find out like five steps to death of a country, and uh, you'll get it there. Uh, you'll find out what it means when your friends are not friends. Uh, you'll find out what happens if you're outnumbered and you try to fight bravely. You'll find that your friends turn on you because you're, you're so evil that you're a minority, which is the worst evil there is, apparently, uh, in this new paradigm. Um, the uh, If you stick that same word into Google, uh, you'll you'll find the blog and, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a unique word. It can't be mistaken for other things. A-M-A-B-H-U-L-U, Amabhulu. And it is Nelson Mandela's people's word for the whites in South Africa. It comes from the Dutch word boer, they, there's a soft R at the end there, but they couldn't say that, so they said Bulu, and the Ama in front just means people. <laughs> so it's the Bur people, or the people Bur, so Ama Bulu. Okay, so everyone they knew in their day was a farmer, so everyone was Amabulu, no matter what language they spoke. If they were white and they farmed, they were Amabulu. That's us. Mm -hmm. The subtitle is The Birth and Death of the Second America. And the reason for that title is because the British naval commander at the Cape in 1797 wrote back to uh, London saying that as this place prospers, this is the Cape now, Cape, Cape Town. As this place prospers, it will no doubt in time become a second America and steal India from us. <laughs> they were paranoid about South Africa becoming another America just 20 years after losing their war with you, losing the United States. Okay, and so they had to keep us down, and they always did. Yeah, I always did. And uh, uh, Harry, um, we've got just a couple of minutes left. 
Um, talk about the plight of uh, the the farmers in the white farmers in South Africa, because under this new system, and I, I see Patrick Holly's ready to go under this new system. Just this last about six months ago, um, they actually made it now part of the law in South Africa that they can. They can take uh, land from people and without uh, remuneration, without payment. They can take it away. Yeah, but in, in this case, they didn't change the Constitution to do it. They promulgated a law that requires them. Uh, in, a, in a certain sense, it's a kind of glorified uh, eminent domain mm -hmm. Um which in some cases with suitable justification may be imminent domain without any remuneration. So they, they, they've got a sort of a half-baked version of where they want to go. And I'm, I'm not yet aware of any place where they've tried to implement it. And I think what's going on is that Cyril Ramaphosa, the president, is a rather weak president, but... Uh, he's relatively Western in his outlook. And I think what he did is he tried to nurse that one through as a sort of a neutered version of what they really wanted to do. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Well, Harry, thank you again for being our guest. I, yes, sir. I you're, you're such a good friend. I absolutely love just talking to you as a, mm -hmm. as a, as a friend and a person, but I think our listeners, our viewers got a chance to uh, see a really good discussion it's, about this. So thank you for being our guest. From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas Oh, from sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say Cause there ain't no doubt